Hello, and welcome to the Scriptures Are Real podcast. This is the podcast where we talk about elements of the scriptures that have become real to us because that helps us draw more power out of them. I'm your host, Kerry Mulstein, and I am still with George Pierce. As we finished recording one episode, we talked and said, oh, wait, we wanted to talk about some other stuff. There's some other really cool stuff. So we'll call this sometimes when I do a shorter one, we'll, we, we call it a short cast, which is a name I made up that makes no sense. But anyway, uh, uh, but we'll do a little short cast. There are two little things that we thought would be fun for us to cover together. So, uh, George, why don't you uh, take us there? All right. So let's just d- d- discuss a couple of things. Um, and people are curious as to to the ending of the story uh, with Jerusalem and, and Judah and the Babylonians and Jeremiah and all kinds of things. Um, if you pick it up in Jeremiah chapter 37, um, Jeremiah prophesies to the king, like, um, don't be right deceived and don't deceive yourselves thinking that the babylonians are going to go away because the lord's going to protect jerusalem that's not the case this time um if you fight against the babylonians and not yield you are going to find yourselves uh, destroyed and sent into exile and because of this then we see that jeremiah is taken and he's he's thrown into jail he's incarcerated right we, not like a prison cell that like we think about what happens is that they throw jeremiah into um what's called a, a miry pit uh, in the, the middle of a courtyard um, around the, the palatial complex there. And so they can't put I have to death. say, there's a, there's a part of me that wonders if this wasn't a big cistern that has had uh, years and years of silt uh, in it, That because uh, I've seen cisterns like this where you get like several feet of just squishy, muddy, mud stuff in there. So a cistern is uh, something they hew out to, uh, in fact, I think I talked about this in a podcast last week. They hew out to collect water. So there, I don't know, but there's part of me that wonders if this isn't a cistern with a lot of silt built up over I, time. I think not only is this a cistern that's that's getting silt, but it's also probably collecting whatever rain uh, runoff rainwater. Um, it has not in a great way, but it's it's sort of combining. And I think there's probably also an element, dare I say it, of cess pit in there as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Jeremiah is is put into not just a room and left there the the those who are opposed to him really want him to suffer and so they chuck him into a cesspit um of some sort it's just this sort of cistern that's like holding all the silt and and yeah. right whatever else Gunk. is going on yeah <laughs> right um i mean anything literally that trash that they can put it there it's going to flow in there so this is jeremiah and it says he sinks in right so he's he sinks into this thing and he can't get out so he's kind of trapped right yeah. and it's awful and we get this great story and i think it's interesting um, in terms of this, in Jeremiah chapter 38, verse 7, it says, Now when Ebed Melech the Ethiopian, one of the eunuchs which was in the king's house, heard that they had put Jeremiah in the dungeon, the king then sitting in the gate of Benjamin, Ebed Melech went forth out of the king's house and spake to the king, saying, My lord the king, these men have done evil in all they have done to Jeremiah the prophet, whom they have cast into the, into the dungeon, because he's likely to die of hunger where he is, because there's, no there's no more bread in the city. I think it's a beautiful story of courage in the face of opposition. Everybody else in the king's household and, and his advisors are direly opposed to Jeremiah because of the message of the Lord that Jerusalem is going to be destroyed. And Ebed Melech, as it says, the Ethiopian. So it's very clear the scriptures like he's not a Judahite. He's mm. from right, probably Sudan, right, in that sort of yeah. area, yeah. right? Darker skin than, than all the rest of us in, in some sort of way. Um, he stands up, and it's great because he, the, the scriptures name him as Ebed Melech, which in Hebrew is right as we know it is servant of the king. It's yeah. not even his real name. I yeah. don't even know what his real name, his given birth name is. No one would name their kid Ebed Melech to begin with, right? No. So yeah, and, and in some ways he's a non-person, so he yeah. gets the 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 writers don't know his name. They just writers, know he's the servant of the king. They know he's the servant of the king, right? And so 
But this guy stands up and says, right, I'm going to be the hero. It is not right to put the prophet in jail like this. He's going to die. We've got to get him out of here. And the king just says, okay, right, do whatever you want to do. And it's this great story where Ebed Melech throws down ropes and tells him to put, right, with rags and tells Jeremiah, put him underneath your armpits, right, so you don't get chafed. And we're going to pull you. And they literally pull him up out of all the silt and cess and everything else yeah. that's in the cistern to, to rescue him. And it's a beautiful story of, of heroism and of standing up for what's right, standing up for the prophet, which nobody else is doing. And we see that in, in, in chapter 39, um, uh, at least at the end of chapter 38, and then we get into chapter 39. The reward for that is that when the Babylonians come and they destroy Jerusalem, Ebed Melech is one of the ones that survives. And the Lord yeah. says, spared because of what you did for Jeremiah. Um, and it's just a, it's a great story of, of, of heroism. Um, I agree. You know, yeah. And Jeremiah is also given his freedom by the Babylonians. He's recognized as a prophet and the Babylonians are like, do whatever you want. And so he's like, I'm going to kind of stick around um, and ends up getting taken to Egypt, even though he says we shouldn't go to Egypt. He's yeah. sort of forcefully moved. Yeah, um, kind of against his will, he's hauled down and then he dies in Egypt, which is not what I think he wanted to do. But yeah. And I'll just add just to the to, to, because this story seems so real to me, partially because I've seen this, uh, you know, uh, cisterns with a bunch of silt in it. But also I, I've had experiences like there was a time I was helping someone. They had a pond uh, that a spring fed into and just over years it had built up this kind of thing as well. Right. And I was helping him clean out some stuff in there. And so we had to get these big wader boots that went up to our hips. Uh, but I got in some mud that was up to just past my knees. And I had to have someone uh, extend out a stick so I could hold it to have something to resist because I could not get my feet out. I was literally stuck. Like It creates so much suction and there's weight to it, but also a suction uh, that I couldn't move without something to to. to give me leverage right uh yeah. and i think that's where jeremiah was and and it's likely this was up past his waist or something like that and and yeah. literally just sucked in there and that it was probably pretty painful to get pulled out because of how much pressure they had to put on him and that's why they haven't put these these uh rags it's like they tied a bunch of shit be uh, sheets or something like that right uh to, yeah. to or clothes tunics or whatever so that it wouldn't be just a, a little rope giving him rope burn right they give him a little bit greater uh width to go under his armpits to just pull him out and and it, it must have been quite a spectacle and you are grateful to see them rewarded for the effort that they went through and i and i think that that's that's the amazing part that makes the scriptures come alive for us so, i mean i don't think i mean your your situation definitely like up to your knees and past but uh, who hasn't had the chance of when they were like as a kid or something running through some mud and your yeah. shoes get stuck in the mud and then you keep running but your shoes are left behind and then your yeah. mom gets on you because your shoes are right all coated and stuff yeah. um, and then yeah. just the details of like put the rags underneath your arms so we can put the ropes there so you don't get rope burn like little yeah. details like that in scripture it's so like it's so realistic that we can go okay i can picture this and i can see what's going on here and then to take a step back and look at the bigger narrative and say yeah there's these people who even though it seems like judah's going downhill fast there are people who are still obedient to the yeah. lord and recognize his prophets and want to do this but it reminds me of psalm 40 um it's a psalm of david but david says i waited patiently for the lord he inclined unto me he heard my cry he brought me up also out of an horrible pit out of the miry clay and set my feet upon a rock and established my goings and he has put a new song in my mouth even praise unto our god many shall see it in fear and shall trust in the lord and so i think it just coincides so beautifully with what david said and then here's Jer jeremiah's experience and his rescue by ebed malik and then here's our sort of real life 
it's happened to everybody at some stage. I think probably, I know it happened to me a lot as a kid, um, yeah. getting stuck in the mud. And then you say, yeah, all this kind of comes together in this, in this sort of beautiful sort of synergy uh, of scripture and, and meaning. I, I agree. And, and, and your point about uh, th- there are still good people around is, is well taken. Like Jeremiah is not the only prophet. Lehi is one, by the way, who believes in Jeremiah and his prophet and Nephi. But there are others around who are good and who are, are supporting. In fact, Jeremiah, uh, at one point when they want to kill him or cast him out, there are a number of, of uh, nobles who kind of uh, support him. And he's OK for a while because he has that support. So that's that's worth thinking about. Um, and, and as I think about this, also, I'd, I'll maybe just remind our um, audience uh, back when we were going through Second Kings, I did an episode with Gay Strathern. I think it's it has in the title something about Gay Strathern and Lachish and Azekah. Um, but we talked about some of the letters that were found in Lachish, uh, talking about prophets who either it's Jeremiah or prophets who had a similar message uh, that make the army quake because they're the prophecies of destruction and so on. So there are so many things from this time period and this story that make this become real. So I'll just encourage our audience to listen to that episode again, if you have the extra time, uh, because it will help the story of Jeremiah become real, that this is the, the setting of the second destruction of Azekah and Lachish and the, the fires going out that, that Gay Strathern and I talked about. That's from this time period. That's happening during Jeremiah's ministry. And so all, all of that is exactly coincides with the book of Jeremiah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and if, uh, if the audience wants to, to sort of, do a little bit of uh, internet searching. I'm um, search for um, a rod ostrica as well. Yeah, um, yeah, that's also from this time period in which there are letters going back and forth between the site of a rod down in the Negev. Um, it's a fortress. It's a Judahite fortress in Jerusalem, and their concern is that the people from Edom, the Edomites, are making incursions into the Negev at this very time, um, yeah. using the Babylonian assault as like their sort of right cover to to come in and take over parts of the Negev. And eventually, as we see in Scripture. Um, and I think it's been cogently argued by by several scholars, uh, the Edomites and the Babylonians together in conjunction destroy Jerusalem. Yeah. Uh, so there's a lot of um, outpouring of prophecy against Edom because of their involvement with all this. Um, and all of it, right, all of it just lends uh, this color to like, we're worried about the Edomites and there's this other garrison and and the Lachish letters, right? We can't see the fires yeah. Um, anymore because the Babylonians have come. And so all of it's just right, sort of spelling gloom and doom. And this is part of Jeremiah's world. I mean, this is what we call Jeremiah the weeping prophet, not only because in the scriptures he talks about weeping, um, but he witnesses the destruction of Jerusalem. And in fact, that's why we have lamentations is Jeremiah's right outpouring of grief because of the destruction of Jerusalem. Yeah. Um, Maybe so before to... we jump to lamentations, since you talked about Arad, I'll just bring other one other kind of real yeah. thing that ties into the Book of Mormon that some of those Arad letters, and you can find an article by uh, David uh, Calabro about this um, in a book called Evolving Egypt. But uh, there's uh, some of those Arad letters, they, these are Jews, and they're using Hebrew, but some of their notations, especially for numbers, they actually use Egyptian script, uh, which is really interesting because this is the time of Lehi, and we're going to have Nephi who seems to be writing in Hebrew, but using some Egyptian script. So it's a, I mean, it, it doesn't match exactly what Nephi says he's doing, but it's similar enough that it gives you the idea. Yeah, this kind of thing really happened. So again, we have these little touchstones with Book of Mormon, uh, Old Testament uh, and, and archaeology and texts and so on all at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. And we get this, uh, we get some archaeology in Jerusalem as well. Um, at some of the places like over in the, in the Jewish quarter, um, there was found um, just north of the broad wall. There was a gate from the time of Jeremiah 
and it had all kinds of burnt destruction and these um these Babylonian arrowheads. Yeah. There's a, a lot of those found in various different places. Um, in the city of David, there have been there's been destruction found from the from the Babylonians. Um, and of course, yeah, layers the, of ash that, you know, were from the Babylonians burning it. Like, you, you, again, you can really see the, Oh, this is Nebuchadnezzar's fingerprint yeah, right here. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, Ebed Melek's statement about the fact that there's like no bread to be eaten in Jerusalem and stuff is really interesting because um, and not to assault anybody's sen sensibilities here. But in the destruction of the city of David, um, there was that, that toilet found at the house of Ahiel. Yeah. And the analysis yeah. of the cesspit showed um, as I'm just reading the analysis here off for everybody, um, the diet of the household included salad plants, pot herbs and spices, um, but little to no wheat or barley. So they're they're really just gathering what is growing in between the cracks of the stones and like what they can grow in a little tiny garden, like salad type stuff. But they're not yeah. eating any bread. No lentils or peas were found. So not any kind of like pulse or legume. Um, an unusually large number of eggs from two types of intestinal parasites tapeworm and whipworm tapeworm suggests that they are consuming poorly cooked raw beef or um some kind of meat um because there's the only beef and pork carry tapeworm um and the whipworm says that they probably ingested foods that have been contaminated by other human waste at times and so this is the desperate situation in jerusalem that everybody is living in the king lee well not lehi lehi's gone by now right but jeremiah ebed melech Right? Yeah. All these others, and they're sort of just eking out a, a subsistence while the Babylonians are besieging Jerusalem. Um, so very real sort of situation um, that they're facing here. So it's just interesting, interesting stuff from archaeology. Yeah, again, that, that makes the siege of, and destruction of Jerusalem become very, very, very real. Very real. Um, and so witnessing that then, Jeremiah, in, in to sort of wrap things up, Jeremiah composes um, Lamentations. Um, in our King James right, version, it doesn't have it. But in the Septuagint, the very first verse that has this addition, it says, And it came to pass that Jeremiah sat weeping and composed this lament over Jerusalem and said, and then it starts in with the first verse of Lamentations 1. So um, at least the Septuagint tells us that Jeremiah is the author. But it's really neat because Lamentations in, in general is a, is a genre of literature in the ancient Near East um, that expresses right this lament. Um, or grief when a city is destroyed or when something bad happens um, to an individual. And Lamentations fits right in within this. And we can see it's it's really kind of interesting how it's how it's laid out. Um, mo many of the Psalms actually in the book of Psalms are laments as well, um, either individual laments or yeah. corporate yeah. laments, right, for everybody. Um, interesting thing is we see, look at the Hebrew Bible and we can see some Lamentations is that the lament has... It has an address and it has a complaint, right? So addressed to the Lord, it complains about what's going on. Jerusalem's destroyed or, right, the, this evil thing has befallen us or whatever. But interestingly, as compared to other laments in the ancient Near East, the ones that we see in the Old Testament have a component of trust, a component of deliverance, a component of assurance, and a component of praise, which is really hard to say when the city's been destroyed. Yeah. And the kingdom is no more. It's now a Babylonian province. It has a Babylonian appointed governor, which doesn't go well for him, by the way. Um, and there's all these kind of problems. Jeremiah is now having to be forcibly moved to Egypt. Um, but it has this component of trust and, and praise that's going on here in which we can see that there are these, these different views. And interestingly, just by the way, for the audience, Lamentations is composed each chapter as an acrostic. 
And so each each verse begins in Hebrew with a letter of the Hebrew uh, Hebrew alphabet, right, in order. Um, and the, the third chapter is a double sort of acrostic, um, but it provides these, these different views, right? And Lamentations 3 is one of these classic ones in which it provides an upward view of the compassions of God, which again is very difficult to say in the middle of all this destruction and, and everything else. And right, the message again that we get is that although they've sinned in the past, they can always appeal to God for help and they can expect and trust that he is going to forgive them and restore them at some point in time. Um, and so this is sort of a composition then of Jeremiah expressing that, even though everything seems to be, I mean, you can just picture Jeremiah looking over Jerusalem that I think, you know, I, I'm always influenced by the Rembrandt painting, um, but there's Jerusalem smoking heap in the background. And here's Jeremiah sort of composing this lamentation. Um, there's right, no leaving. temple anymore. There's, I mean, just, it's gone. How heartbreaking it must have been. Yeah, it's it's gone. But as as I said, it's it's interesting. Um, in, in Mesopotamian literature, um, the laments they really look for like, has there been a ritual that we've forgotten? Have we have we not done something right? Have we offended the deity by adding on an extra room in the temple or something? What we see in the Old Testament is not that. It's a desire to be cleansed from sin, and to have a renewed relationship with the deity. And that's the expression of lamentations. It's a praise of God for right his right namesake and for who he is and right looking to him for deliverance and praising him for what he's done, even though right things are pretty bad. Yeah. And so it's this it's this desire to say, like, let's get cleansed, let's have a right relationship. And that's one of the purposes we see in Lamentations is to how Judah. All right, those who are worshiping Jehovah can effectively turn that relationship around and trust in him. Yeah, and I, th I think that that's, that has to have been to some degree affected by what you, you referred to and what I've done a little shortcast on. Uh, I think you called the Book of Consolation, the, those middle chapters there in the 30s. Uh, where God promises renewing the covenant and giving them a new heart and so on. And, and that's what Jeremiah is looking forward to in Lamentations. That's that's the consolation he has. Okay, I know that this went wrong. And it's the same thing, the same kind of thing that Nephi does. Okay, I know my people are going to be destroyed. And Jeremiah says, all right, I know my people have been destroyed, but I also know there is a, a point where you renew, you restore, you gather, and, and this all works out okay. And that hope... You actually see it in Isaiah as well. For all of these prophets who see the bad stuff that's coming, their consolation is the the knowledge they have that there is a brighter future because the divine warrior does relieve oppression and and does renew the covenant and make everything work out okay in the end. And we're we're blessed to be living in a time where much of that is being fulfilled. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the the hope comes in that. That, uh, as as Jeremiah says in Lamentations 3, verse 22, it's of the Lord's mercies that were not consumed. And it's because his compassions, they fail not. And the point he makes for us, and I think one of the applications that we can take away in, uh, with this is that, as he says, they are new every morning, great is thy faithfulness. The Lord's faithfulness to us is out, far outshines any faithfulness that we can give to him. And the, the hope that we have is that every single morning we get a new chance to enjoy his blessings and his compassion upon us, regardless of what we did the day before, and regardless of how we acted the week before or years before, each morning is a chance to say, today 
I'm going to enjoy the compassions of the Lord and the blessings of the Lord and seek to be faithful to him um, because we know that he's always going to be faithful to us. Very good. And maybe maybe I'll just point out that uh, in verse 22 there where it says the Lord's mercies, uh, the the word there is chesed, this word that uh, President Nelson just uh, wrote about in his enzyme, his October enzyme article, or he's talked about it in a number of other places. And I've talked about chesed as well, this idea, this, this covenantal love and mercy that it doesn't run out. Yeah. All right. Well, that's beautiful stuff, George. And I am so grateful that, as you said, I can wake up each morning and know, uh, I like how you put that. I can wake up each morning and know God will have chesed on me. I've, I've still got another chance. And and that uh, however much I mess up that day, it's going to work out in the end because uh, I'm in a covenant relationship with God and he sent his son Christ to make it so it will work out. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you. And uh, we hope uh, that this has been uplifting for everyone. So have, have a wonderful day.